All right, book of Hebrews tonight, Hebrews chapter number 10, Hebrews chapter number 10, and uh, we'll read several verses, and you just hold your place, and uh, we'll get there, I promise you, if you'll just stay with me, we'll get back to it, uh, but just want to take a text here out of the book of Hebrews, then I'll give you a few things here about the tabernacle, we started last week, uh, we transitioned a little bit from just the tabernacle as a whole on the outside, uh, to looking at the furniture within the tabernacle, and uh, we looked last Sunday night, I believe it was, uh, we looked at the altar, and I told you we'd probably have to take another night, uh, so we're going to do that tonight, all right? We're going to do our best to look at the altar again, and uh, see a few more things about the altar, then I want, before we get into that, I'm going to take just a few minutes and tie some things together, okay? And uh, probably... Uh, I don't know for sure, but probably here in the next couple of weeks we'll take one night and uh, just tie everything that we've seen thus far together, and uh, it'll probably take a whole night to do that. Uh, it's uh, difficult when you're doing a study like this. It takes that long. Uh, the first couple of weeks, it's pretty easy to go back and hit the highlights of what you uh, have learned and looked at, uh, but when you get into week 8, 9, 10, 12, 20, uh, it gets to where it takes almost a whole night just to read recap, put everything together, and uh, so you just pray for us, we'll do our best to keep you moving along the best we can, all right? Hebrews chapter number 10, I'm not asking you to stand tonight, I'm going to read several verses, and uh, you just you just listen and pray for us and with us as we read. The Bible said in verse number 1, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Now, that, that's one of my favorite verses in the book of Hebrews. And here's what the writer's saying. He's telling us that the, the law having a shadow. Now, that's what we've looked at as far as the tabernacle all this time. We've looked literally at what the tabernacle consisted of, but then we've also talked about how it was a foreshadowing, a picture, or a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what the writer's telling us in verse number one. The law, talking about the Old Testament, uh, will had a, having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of the thing. So what Paul's laying the ground were, well, I don't know if I should say Paul, but the writer of the book of Hebrews, I believe it to be Paul, uh, what he's laying the groundwork for is this. He said that uh, all these things in the Old Testament, tabernacle included, they were a shadow of the good things to come. They were a shadow of the grace of God. You can look back now, and uh, i give you an example. We, we know that the life of Joseph is a wonderful picture and type of Lord Jesus Christ. I, I preach a message out of Genesis 45 on uh, good news from a far country. How that Joseph sent his brethren back to his father's house. And uh, there was three things he told them to tell them. He said, tell them that Joseph is Lord. Isn't that right? Tell them that Joseph is living. Tell them that Joseph longs for Jacob to be with him. Well, that's a picture of type Lord Jesus Christ. I, I'm glad he's alive this evening, aren't you? I, I'm glad he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings, uh, and he longs for you to be with him. Isn't that right? That's a picture. But what, what Paul's a telling us here is, uh, we can look back at that and see a picture, a shadow uh, of the good things to come, but Joseph never realized that. Uh, Jacob never realized that. Living in those days, uh, they didn't realize that but us with our New Testament in hand uh, and the doctrines of the grace of God can look back uh, and see those shadows and those types if you would. So what he's telling us is this, that the law has shadows of these good things to come but they're not the very image of the things and therefore they can never with those sacrifices uh, which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. 
For it is not possible that with blood of bulls and of goats should take away, I should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Boy, I love verse 7. Then said I, Lo, I, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me uh, uh, to do thy will, O God. Verse 8, ab- above, when he said, Sacrifice the offering, burnt offerings, and of offering of sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, uh, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, uh, that he may establish the second. Now, Here's what the writer's telling us. He's laid a case out. He said, listen, now, uh, the things of the Old Testament was not sufficient. Uh, if they had have been, uh, there'd have been no reason to offer year after year after year after year. Uh, but then he introduces us. He said, but there is one that's coming. Isn't that right? Uh, in fact, the Bible said, lo, I come uh, in the volume of the book. Isn't that right? Uh, uh, to do thy will. Oh God. And what the writer's saying is when he comes, uh, he's going to do away with the old uh, and establish the new. Now, watch what he said, verse 10. By the which we up uh, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which he never take away sins. But this man, talking about the Lord Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting uh, till his enemies be made his footstool. Verse 14, for by one offering uh, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, hold your places there. We'll be back in a little bit, all right? Just want to take a text and we'll pray that I get to the message. Heavenly Father, Lord, I surely love you tonight. Lord, I pray it help us as we study your word together. Lord, I pray give us wisdom, give us insight. Lord, I pray that you'd illuminate our hearts to the truths of the scripture. Lord, I pray tonight you do that that only you can. Lord, I realize no doubt there's many broken hearted, many burdens. Lord, I pray you'd have your will and wait in each and every heart. Lord, if they be one here tonight, lost, undone without you, Lord, I pray that Lord, would you save them for it's everlasting too late. Be with every request, both mentioned and unmentioned. Lord, I pray that uh, your will be done above everything else. Would you bring honor and glory unto yourself. And we'll be careful tonight uh, to thank you and praise you for all that you've done, all that you will do. For we ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. Now, uh, uh, we've read several verses. We'll get there, I promise. But I want to get back to the altar just a little bit. Now, I don't have time tonight to <laughs> recap too much from last week, so uh, we'll just get right into it and try to uh, try to catch ourselves up best we can, all right? Notice with me, first of all, the priority of the altar. Now, uh, uh, remember tonight, we talked last week that uh, the altar was located as soon as you come in to the only gate, remember there's uh, uh, the whole the whole tabernacle, the outer court surrounded by the fence, and uh, there's one gate on the eastern side, and as soon as you came to that gate, the first thing that uh, you'd come to was this altar, and uh, so it, it must have been pretty important for it to be the very first thing that you come to. I told you last week, it's the largest of all the furniture. It's uh, in fact, it's seven and a half foot wide, seven and a half foot long, and four and a half foot deep. And uh, it's the largest of all the furniture. And it's placed, the very first thing you see as you come through the gate uh, of the outer court, it's the very first thing that you'd come to. Uh, uh, we talked a little bit last week about how that it uh, made access into the Holy of Holies in some ways, but it also barred access into the tabernacle. Uh, uh, you must go by the altar in order to get there. If a man refused that, uh, uh, he could enter no farther. So uh, we see the priority a little bit now. 
There was no way tonight, let me expound on that a little bit. There was no way for the priest uh, to enter in to the holy place uh, or the great high priest enter into the holy of holies uh, without first coming by the altar. It was essential to come by uh, the altar. Now, uh, we talked a little bit several weeks ago. Uh, uh, remember we, when we did the coverings of the tabernacle, uh, we talk about how that uh, that outer covering of badger skin, it had been uh, bluish gray in appearance, just old dull, drab leather. Uh, uh, it was waterproof, windproof, uh, uh, but it had no form nor comeliness. It was no beauty was held within that badger skin. And we talked about how that was the, uh, the, 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 a picture and a type of the humanity of Christ. That's what the outside world uh, sees when they look at Christ. They see His humanity. They, you'll not find anybody. I mean, it, it's a recorded historical fact uh, that a man was born in Bethlehem, uh, lived 33 and a half years, died on a cross, uh, and was buried. You'll find nobody that disputes that. In fact, you'll find very few people that dispute that uh, He was not a good man, a wise man, a spiritual man even. You'll find that they believe He was a prophet, you'll find they believe that he was a rabbi, you'll find they believe that uh, he was wise and intelligent and spiritual and of good moral conduct and a religious man. Uh, he was a good man. Uh, uh, in fact, let me say this, there's very few religions that dispute the fact that Jesus was not a good man. Uh, uh, the Roman Catholics believe he was a good man that lived a life here on earth. Uh, the Mormons believe that he was a good man that lived a life on earth. Uh, the Muslims believe he was a good man uh, uh, that lived a life here on earth. Uh, uh, the, the Jehovah Witnesses will admit that he's a good man that lived a life here on earth. Uh, uh, but here tonight lies the problem. Uh, uh, they're all looking at it from the outside. Uh, all they see is humanity. Uh, all they can see is his earthly life. Isn't that right? Uh, but for those of us tonight that have been saved by the good grace of God, uh, born again in the family of God, uh, we see not only his humanity, but we also see his deity. Uh, and on the inside of the tabernacle, you had those uh, uh, wooden walls that were encased in solid gold. Uh, uh, speaking of the deity of Christ, uh, you have the wonderful tapestry uh, 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 the, uh, the first covering of the tabernacle that uh, showed his deity. And uh, so the difference tonight uh, of how you see Christ is where you're located. Uh, whether you're outside of Christ or in Christ. I believe Paul might have said a few things uh, about us being baptized in the body of Christ. Isn't that right? Uh, so we're in Christ and we see that. Uh, uh, but here's what I want you to see. There's only one way to get there. There's only one way tonight to get from the outside, seeing the humanity of Christ, to getting to the inside, seeing the deity of Christ. Only one way to get there. You've got to come by the altar. Is that right? You must come by the altar. We talked last week, that altar is a picture of Calvary. It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture tonight of where blood was shed, sacrifice was made. And you must come by way of the altar. You must come by way of Calvary tonight in order to experience the beauties and the splendors of Christ. Now, what a picture of salvation that we see here in the tabernacle. Now, let me say this. The natural man still in his sins cannot see uh, the splendors of Christ. It's impossible. He cannot do it. A lost man cannot see Christ uh, for who he really is. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I grew up in church all my life. Uh, I, I, I mean, I've picked before and said I had a drug problem when I was a little boy. I was drugged to church nine months before I was born. Uh, I mean, I've been in church all my life. Uh, but listen, there had to be a time... Uh, 
Uh, There was never a time in my life, Ronald, uh, uh, that I did not know that Jesus died for me. Never a time in my life uh, I didn't know that. Uh, uh, There was never a time in my life I didn't know that Jesus loved me. Uh, There was never a time that I remember in my life, Chris, uh, uh, that I didn't know that you had to be saved to go to heaven. Never a time. Uh, uh, But I tell you what did happen the night I got saved. Uh, My eyes were opened uh, to who he really was. Isn't that right? For the first time in my life, uh, I realized that he didn't just die for the world, uh, uh, but he died for me. Isn't that right? Uh, I realized that night the Holy Ghost uh, illuminated my heart and showed me Calvary. uh, And I realized that the God of all glory uh, died for me. Isn't that right? The natural man cannot see that. Natural eyes cannot behold it. The natural mind cannot understand it. Uh, It's impossible for the natural man to see uh, and understand spiritual things. Uh, In fact, the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14, But the natural man uh, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, uh, neither can he know them, uh, because they are spiritually discerned. Isn't that right? You say, preacher, what do you say? Now don't fall out with what I'm about to say, but it's true. Do you realize tonight these men that have spent their entire lives studying this Bible, they can tell you what the Greek means, tell you what the Hebrew means, uh, they can tell you every bit of that, they can tell you, uh, they can tell you how the grammatical perfectness of it, they can tell you the beauties uh, of it literally. Uh, I mean, they spent their entire lives uh, studying this book. But they cannot see that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in them should not perish. They can't fathom that. But do you realize tonight, I know men, Ron, I know a man right now, I've talked a little bit about him before. I know a man right now, I think if I'm not mistaken, he's got about a second or third grade education. Now, when the Lord called him to preach, he couldn't even write his name. Uh, yet he knows that Bible. Uh, you say, preacher, what are you saying? He's spiritually discerned. That's what Paul's saying. Uh, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be educated. Uh, but the Holy Ghost uh, he is our teacher. Isn't that right? It takes spiritual eyes uh, and spiritual understanding. Uh, that's amazing to me tonight. Now, he also said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, here's what he said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Uh, what he's saying tonight is this, uh, those on the outside, those that are lost, those that have never been saved, uh, if we had our gospel, uh, if we had our lives, uh, it would be hid to them that are lost. Now, here's what he said. Verse number four, in whom the God of this world, that's talking about the devil, uh, hath blinded the minds of them uh, which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Here's what Paul said. The reason it's got to be spiritual discerned, the reason the natural man can understand it, because Paul said the God of this world, talking about Satan, uh, hath blinded their eyes. Isn't that right? Now, let me say something right here. We, we, we fret sometimes, and I, I'm as guilty as anybody, but we wonder sometimes why it is that, I mean, you can get up and preach your gallbladder out, and somebody raise their hand, preach your arm lost, and out the door they go somewhere they are. i tell you why. They've been blinded tonight. Is that right? They can't see it. But oh my soul, when the Holy Ghost illuminates their heart and reveals to them who they are and who the Lord is and how much He loved them, and then the light begins. As the Bible said, unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. It has to be spiritually discerned. And the only way to see it tonight is to come by Calvary. You can't earn your way there. You can't study your way there. You can't, uh, you can't tonight buy your way there. You can't be religious enough to get there. Uh, uh, you, th- there's so many tonight. I, I don't have time to get into all that, but there's so many tonight that believe faith 
work enough, if they if they pray enough, if they give enough, if if they do enough hail marriage, if they do enough this and that, that eventually they'll get there. Friend, that's not what it is tonight. It's by Calvary. It's got to be by the shed blood. A man must come by way of dark Calvary. It's the only way tonight. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. If no man comes to the Father except by me." Isn't that right? It must be by Calvary. This outside, all that could have been seen was the badger's skin. After coming by the altar, the gold walls of the tabernacle, the, the beautiful tapestry could be seen. Uh, hey, here's what I put in my notes. Uh, what a difference Calvary makes. Wonder just for a minute, if you think just for a few minutes about just in your own mind, whether no matter what your testimony is tonight, uh, I wonder if you'd stop and think a little bit about before you got saved, uh, how you felt about the things of God, how you felt about the Bible, how you felt about church, how you felt about the people of God and the men of God, and how you felt about all those things. Uh, and then think about how you see it now. Uh, didn't Calvary make a difference in your life? Uh, I, I remember Kirk, I've heard him tell many times, that he never could figure out why them boys he's riding motorcycles with uh, had to leave early to go to church. He just couldn't figure that out. Uh, but what a difference that Calvary makes. Uh, I, I, listen to me. I, I've seen people that, I mean, they had to be forced, had to be bribed, had to be begged, uh, had to get to the house of God. But then, uh, all of a sudden, they come by Calvary. Uh, what a difference that Calvary makes. Uh, I've heard people stand and look at me and say, I don't want anything to do with the blood. Uh, I don't want anything to do with the cross. Uh, then I've seen them a year or two later stand and weep and thank God uh, that he shed his blood for them. Uh, what a difference Calvary makes tonight. Uh, the natural eye and the natural mind uh, cannot conceive, cannot comprehend uh, spiritual things for they are spiritually discerned. Uh, and you must come by Calvary this evening. It's the priority of the altar. And I want you to notice the picture of the altar if you would. Now, I told you a minute ago, it's, it's in the shape of a square, seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, <coughs> four and a half feet high. Now, it was large enough to accommodate for even the largest substitutional sacrifice. It's built of wood. Now, that's interesting to me. Built of wood, but underneath it, God's going to light a fire right here in just a few minutes. Now, that's interesting. Built of wood, but here's what they did. They built it a wood, and then they overlaid that wood with brass. Now, the walls of the tabernacle made out of wood, they overlaid it with gold. That's the, the wood shows the humanity of Christ. The gold shows the deity of Christ. But this altar, the wood is overlaid with, with brass. Brass is always a picture and a type of judgment. So we have the humanity of Christ, and then on top of the humanity of Christ, we have the judgment of God that is placed on the humanity, on the body of Christ. Then on top of that, the judgment of God. Then underneath of that, when everything was said and done, Ronald, and uh, they're getting ready to dedicate the tabernacle, all construction's complete. Uh, here's what the Bible said. Now I'm paraphrasing. Moses and Aaron was in the, in the tabernacle. They came out. Here's what the Bible said. Everybody's gone. Nobody's in there. All of a sudden, God kindled a fire and sent it from heaven and consumed the wood on the, on the altar. Started a fire. Here's what he told them. He said, that fire's never going to go out. Is that right? Fire burnt continually. Never a time that man came and never a time the priest got up in the morning that fire was out and they said, well, we better kill this other fire. It was their job to keep the fire fed all the time. Fire never went out. That one fire was sufficient forever. That, God, hit me. I don't know if y'all getting there or not. That one fire was sufficient forever. Never another fire. Never time it went out. Never time that had to be built back up. Never time that they had to get up and start another fire. God killed a fire and it burnt Forever. That's interesting to me. Now, seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet tall, uh, made out of wood, overlaid with brass, fire lit underneath it. Now, you say, preacher, what's all that mean? Well, uh, the wood speaks of the body of Christ. The brass speaks of the judgment of God on sin. And the fire, the wrath of God, which was executed on Christ. Now, let me ask you something. You go out here and build us a fire. You build you a structure. Out of wood. You light a fire under it. 
what's going to happen eventually. Going to burn, right? But here's what amazes me. The altar didn't burn because it was encased by, by brass. Fire has to have oxygen to be able to burn. Has to have oxygen to be able to do that. Well, see that 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 wood was encased with this brass. There's no oxygen that fire could get. Couldn't burn through the brass, so the wood stayed strong. And what that? You know, I ain't getting it, but just stay with me just a minute. What that wood picture? That's the body of Christ, isn't that right? It's wrapped in this brass. That's the judgment of God upon sin. That fires the wrath of God. That he poured out on Christ. Stay with me just a minute. Here's what I'm saying tonight. And I, I'm, I'm going to hurry. The Bible said he that knew no sin became sin for us. Isn't that right? He died for our sins. Right? Now here's the thing. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. But somehow or not. We, don't, we, know, we know the story, we know the account. We know Jesus died, was buried, then rose again, victorious over death, hell, and the grave on the third day. In the same body. Right? He wasn't a spirit. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, uh, he, he wasn't a vapor. He wasn't just some uh, outer body expression. Remember, he, he met with the disciples, and the Bible said that he eat with them. Said, thrust you, feel, feel the wounds in my hand, thrust your hand into my side. Uh, he was showing them he had a body. Right, the same body that died at Calvary, he now had a body uh, still in body, still in form, uh, yet he had died and God had poured out his judgment and his wrath. Now, here's what I'm going to show you. Watch this. Let me give it to you the way I had it wrote down, or I'll get you all messed up. Now, the wood was not destroyed because it was encased in brass. Therefore, the fire didn't destroy it. What a picture of Christ at Calvary. God poured out his wrath towards sin on his son, but Christ withstood it in his body. He didn't, he didn't, take, it, uh, he didn't take it upon his deity. He took it upon his body, upon his robe of flesh. He endured uh, uh, the wrath of God and was able to rise again from the dead. Here's what 1 Peter 2.24 said, talking about the Lord, who in his, who his own self bear our sins, listen to this, in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live in the righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Peter makes no question about it. He bore our sins in his own body. Isn't that right? But yet he took the wrath of God for our sins in his own body. Yet he was able to save himself. Listen to what Jesus said, John 10 17 and 18, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, you say, preacher, what are you saying? What a picture tonight of Calvary. What a picture of the Lord. Wood wrapped in brass. God poured out His judgment. That wood wrapped in brass, taking the feet of the fire, taking the wrath of the fire that God had kindled. Yet the wood still remained the same. In his own body, he was able to endure our to bear our sins and endure the wrath of God and the judgment of God. Yet he paid our sin debt on the altar of Calvary and rose again victorious over death and the grave. Paying the sin debt for every man, woman, boy, and girl. What a picture tonight. What a picture. That wood wrapped in brass, fire kindled against it. Do you realize tonight that's exactly what happened at Calvary? Y'all looking at me like I'm losing this. So let me slow down just a little bit. That's what happened at Calvary. Bible said in John 1, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's John 1, 14. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in that flesh he lived for 33 and a half years sinless. Uh, he led him to Calvary. Uh, led him up Gagotha's hill. And the Bible said that uh, there he died. Isn't that right? Six hours he spent on the cross. Three of them in daylight. Three of them in darkness. Uh, three hours man poured out his wrath against God. Uh, man poured out everything that he had against Christ. Uh, then 
again, after three hours, the Bible said that it was darkness over all the earth from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. In that darkness, God Himself poured out His judgment and wrath against sin and against sin, the sin of mankind. He had bore our sins in His own body and God poured out His wrath and His judgment on the body of Christ. And in that body, He bore our sins and endured the wrath of God. The Bible said, what did He say? I lay down my life, I have power to take it up again. After all that, the Bible said that He, he cried with a loud voice, it is finished. The Bible said he gave up the ghost. Isn't that right? He had to die. They didn't kill him. Isn't that right? He died, laid him in a barred tomb, spent three days and three nights. The Bible said very early, in the, very early in the morning, the first day of the week, that they come, found the stone rolled away, and rose victorious. Now, here's what I'm saying tonight. Now, stay with me. He bore our sins and bore God's wrath in his own body. Yet he was able to endure it and rise again in the same body. He said, Preacher, what are you saying? What a picture we see in the altar. What a picture of that wood, that body of Christ, that even bearing the judgment, even bearing the sin, even facing the wrath of God, yet that wood still remained untouched and untarred. What a picture tonight of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the picture of the altar. Notice the power of the altar. I'm hurrying tonight. I'm almost done. We say this, the fire of the altar was kindled by the Lord, sent from heaven at the dedication of the tabernacle. Human hands had no part in the fire. It was all the Lord. Isn't that right? Aaron and Moses come out of the tabernacle. The Bible said God sent the fire from heaven and, and, and consumed the wood at the altar. Now, I said all that to say this. It's a picture of what's happening at the altar is Calvary. Calvary was the crowning jewel of God the Father. You realize tonight, Jonah said it better than anybody, salvation is of the Lord. Isn't that right? Man didn't start the fire. Man didn't put the fire out. It come from God. Isn't that right? Can I say this? Salvation is dependent entirely upon the Lord. The Bible said we're saved by faith, by, by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, uh, listen tonight, uh, it's by the grace of God and entirely apart from human help, merit, or works. Uh, God doesn't need your help to save somebody. Uh, God doesn't need your merit to save somebody. Uh, and He doesn't need your works to save you tonight. Salvation uh, is of the Lord. Isn't that right? Uh, he loves sinners and I've got good news tonight uh, he's real real good at saving sinners uh, he doesn't need my help or your help or anybody else's help uh, I realize tonight he chooses uh, how to use the New Testament church I realize that God uh, works through the church but I'm telling you tonight uh, salvation is of the Lord uh, he doesn't need me and he doesn't need you uh, you don't have to help him get there uh, you don't have to clean yourself up for him and save you uh, salvation is of the Lord this evening. Over and over again in Scripture, God signified His approval of an offering by sending fire from heaven. We must tonight, the only thing that a sinner must do is come by the finished work of Calvary. That's what God was saying. We talked a little bit last week about the pattern. Talked about how that it was a picture and a type of Calvary. God sent that fire. You know what He was saying? I approve. Is that right? Remember over there? Yeah, remember over there when Elisha came down there and saw them prophets of Baal? He said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I'll tell you what we'll do. He said, you call on your gods, and I'll call on the true living God. Whoever sends fire, he'll be the one and only God. The Bible said that the prophets of Baal made their offering ready and they cried and wept and cut themselves. And the Bible said there's no answer. 
Elisha, the Bible said, the Bible said he repaired the altar and laid the wood in order and had them to come and pour, pour water on the wood and around the altar and all those things. And the Bible said he prayed 63 words and the fire of God fell from it. You know what God was saying? I approve of the offering. Is that right? You know what God's saying tonight? He saw the offering of Calvary. He saw the offering of His Son when His Son willingly laid down His life at Calvary. And I've got good news tonight. God approved of the offering. Isn't that right? He approved tonight. It was sufficient. It was enough. We must come by the finished work of Calvary. Now, we see the power of the altar. I want you to notice the perpetual fire. I mentioned a minute ago, but it's interesting that the fire was kindled by the Lord from heaven, occurred at the dedication of the tabernacle. However, the Lord commanded that the fire could never go out. It can, God help me. The Lord said, listen, I prove that fire's never, ever, ever, ever to go out. They say, preacher, what's so good about that? What's the, what's the purpose of the altar? If I was an Israelite, I'd commit a sin. I had to come to the tabernacle, bring my offering with me, come to the priest, present my sacrifice for him to make an offering to the Lord for the sin I'd committed. You know what the Lord was saying? There's never going to be a time that that fire's not burning, ready for a sinner to bring an offering. Is that right? I don't know if y'all getting that. My soul. You say, preacher, what are you saying? Aren't you glad tonight? Now listen to me. I like that song they sing. It's all right. I'm not being too critical, but they sing that song, and they'll say, if it was on a Monday, somebody touched me, and uh, everybody got saved on Monday, they'll stand up, and it was on a Sunday, somebody touched me, and everybody stand up, and it was on a Tuesday, and everybody got saved on Tuesday, stand up, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and then I've heard them every once in a while, they'll say, I don't know what day it was, but somebody touched me. Well, I'm about to no matter what day it was. Don't matter if you was at church. Don't matter if you was in a cornfield. Don't matter if you was in a bathtub. Don't matter if you was in McDonald's parking lot. That's where Kendra got saved, by the way, beside the dumpster uh, at the McDonald's parking lot uh, in Yakinville, North Carolina. Old George, uh, what's his name, Kendra? I can't think. Uh, uh, your mom and dad's pastor's grandpa. George. Uh, well, it don't matter. I, it, y'all don't know him no way. But vile, wicked man. They said uh, Shelby Jean, his wife, had come into church early. And he'd come in every night. Uh, he'd come in the back doors drunk and stand back there and cuss and hoop and holler and cause a fit. And said that one day he was out in a cornfield uh, picking corn. Said all of a sudden, uh, I've heard him tell it many a time. Uh, he said, I thought I was all by myself. And all of a sudden, somebody crawled up in that tractor with me. Uh, and he said, I didn't know what else to do. Uh, he said, I didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say. Uh, he said, I just knew I was going to go to hell. Uh, he said, I cut the tractor off, got down beside the tractor. Uh, said, Lord, if you can save somebody like me, I wish you would. Uh, and you know what? It was still open. Uh, it was still available. Uh, the fire had not went out. Uh, it wasn't a Sunday. Uh, it wasn't a Wednesday. It wasn't a revival meeting. Uh, but God was still uh, in the saving business. Isn't that right? Uh, I'm glad, thank God, it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, it doesn't matter what day of the week. doesn't matter where it's at. Uh, what's going on. Uh, I'm glad that God started the fire. Uh, and the fire is still burning tonight. Ain't that right? It was approval. Send him a fire. And not only that, let me say this. The fire was a continual testimony of God's approval of the shedding of blood and sacrifice. Here's what happened. Not only did it show that, that there was always a time that the sinner could bring an offering, it always showed there was a time that atonement could be made. Not only that, it showed continuously God was approved. God approved of what was happening. He approved of bloodshed. You can find that principle all throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, uh, made, them, made them aprons of fig leaves, and God made them coats of skin. Uh, Cain and Abel, God accepted. Uh, uh, God accepted Abel's offering to spies Cain's. Uh, uh, over and over again, you find that God approves uh, of bloodshed. The Bible said without the shedding of blood, uh, uh, there is no remission. Uh, that fire was a continuous reminder 
wonder that God was satisfied, uh, God approved uh, of the blood shed at the altar. Now, that's interesting to me. For the sinner, it's a reminder tonight that Calvary is always open. Never time, never place, you can't come to the Lord. But for the saint tonight, it's a constant, continual reminder that God was satisfied at Calvary. Is that right? Now stay with me just a minute. That's for helping me. Now listen, we know tonight every one of us mess up. Every one of us falls short. Every one of us have things that we do that we ought not do. And every one of us have those times that we sin and fall short of the glory of God from day to day to day. And I'm not going to say tonight that, uh, that we, we, we are, I, I, well, I'll say this. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, uh, he's preaching in a big way, and he said, listen, we all sin. We sin every year. Hey, man, preacher, preach on. He said, we sin every month. Hey, man, preacher, preach on. We sin every week. Amen, preacher, preacher. He said, we sin every day. Amen, preacher, preacher. He said, I'll just be honest. We sin every minute. Now listen to me. I'm not trying to be ugly. If you sin every minute, you better check it up. Is that right? If you can't go a minute, there's something wrong somewhere. But we do fall short, don't we? Every one of us falls short. Sometime or another, I'm going to let you down. Sometime or another, sure, I'm going to do something I ought not do, say something I ought not say. Uh, sometime or another, my flesh is going to get the best of them, and yours is too. Now, here's the thing. With that being the case, we've been a pickle because God cannot look on sin. But listen to me. You know what that altar is a picture of? That fire never went out. That perpetual flame is a constant reminder God's wrath was appeased. Take care. That right? He took our sins in his own body, died in our stead. God was satisfied. That right? It's a picture tonight of the eternal security of the believer. The fire would never go out. It speaks of the eternal security of the believer. The fire was a continual testimony of God's approval, shedding of blood and sacrifice. The blood shed by Christ is sufficient now and forever. It's not dependent upon you or I. We're not the ones tonight that built the fire. Isn't that right? God did. I'm not the one that saved myself. The Lord did. And he was satisfied at Calvary. God tonight is satisfied with the sacrifice of his son. Human hands did not build that fire. God is satisfied. See the perpetual fire. Last one, I want you to see this. I'm done. I want you to see the persistence of the altar. Now, in the tabernacle of the wilderness, the job of the priest was never done. We're, we're, we're starting tonight, we're looking at this, we're looking at this tabernacle, this furniture of the tabernacle. I told you the other night, you've got the altar, the brazen laver going to the holy place, you've got the table of showbread, the, the golden candlestick, the altar of incense entering through the veil to the holy of holies, and you've got the mercy seat and the ark of the covenant. That's the seven pieces. Nowhere in there, Wayne, was there a chair. Nowhere in there was there a seat. There was never a time and that the priest just sit down and have anything to do. Never. See, the people continually, continually, people were sinning. Continually, every month, every day, every, every year, people were sinning. The priest always had offerings to be made. There was always another offering, always another sacrifice, always blood to be shed. Priest's job was never done. Nowhere in any of the tabernacle will you ever find a seat or a bench. Uh, not, no, no time to sit down. Uh, the job was never done. Perpetually, continually, one after another. Work, work, work. Now, here's what's interesting. Year after year, month after month, day after day, sacrifice had to be made to atone for the sins of the people. No time to sit down. Their job was never, ever done. That's what Paul does in Hebrews 10. Watch what he said. Verse number 1. For the law having a shadow, good things to come, not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the Worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, 
All that, that tabernacle, that old, that all that, that's a shadow of good things to come. Now, now you can't see it tonight, I know, but I look over on that wall and see my shadow. And it looks similar to me. And it, when I move, it moves. But it's not me. Isn't that right? It's the shadow. It's just an image of what I am. Now, listen to me. Here's what Paul said. He said, it's just an image. It's a shadow. Good things kind. But never with those sacrifices could it make the comers perfect. Here's what he's saying. If it could, they would have to do it all the time. Makes sense, don't it? If the blood of a goat or a bull or whatever the case could have made me perfect, could have, could have completely, perfectly, eternally toned for my sin, then I'd brought it one time and been done. Is that right? Had it been the time, the priest's job would have been done. No furniture. Never time sit down. Continually. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, continually had to work because it never could make them perfect. In fact, watch what verse 3 said. But in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made of sins every year. Paul said at the most year. Have to come back and do it again. The most year. Call for sacrifice, great day of atonement. The most year. Most times you have to come back between then and there, but the most you go a year. Then after a year, God, remember your sins again, had come back and make no sacrifice. What a sad thing. Watch this. For it's not possible, verse 4, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh in the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hath thou prepared me. Burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Here's what the Lord's saying. He said, When I come, I'm not coming to sacrifices and offerings, I'm coming in a body. Watch what he said now. He said, for in burnt all for sacrifice for sin, I've had no pleasure. Then said I, then said I, lo, I come to the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and burnt offerings and offering sin, thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure in them which are offered by the law. Then he said, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, he may establish the second. Here's what Paul said. He said, the Lord said that them bulls and goats and all that stuff don't work, right? Now, God's given them years of this. Every year, they've had to come make offering. He said, when the Lord comes, what he's going to do is, he's going to do away with that and establish the second. That's what he's saying. He's going to, he's going to put away the old covenant and make a new covenant. Things are going to change when he shows up. Now, we know not we don't offer bulls and goats, so we're gonna find out why. What's what he said? Verse number verse number ten. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What about that? Here's what he said. So when I come, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna offer myself in my body once for all. Okay, right? Y'all ain't getting that. Now, I'm trying to go real slow and calm it down, but I'm about to come unglued. Watch what he said. So when I come, I'm going to offer myself once for all. Okay, right? What he said. If it happen one time, that's it. Ain't happening no more. Gonna be one time is going to be enough. Uh, we're going to have one sacrifice, one, one, one time of bloodshed. That's going to be sufficient once and for all. We're going to put an end to this thing. Now, watch what he said. Verse 11. Told you a minute ago, and every priest standeth daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Here's what Paul said. When the Lord comes, he's going to offer himself once for all. Is that right? Then Paul does something interesting. He says, back in the tabernacle, then priest every day standing, never sitting. Day after day. Sometimes Chris offering the same sacrifices. Day after day after day. Making these offerings, making these sacrifices that could never take away sins. Ain't that sad? Working that much, working that hard, never getting anywhere. Here's what he said. I like this. Watch, watch what your Bible said. Verse number 12. But this man, talking about the Lord, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, Forever sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expect until his enemies be made his footstool. 
Now, that's, that's, that's sufficient. That's, that's, that's significant. Here's what Paul said. I'm done. I don't know what it's four after eight. It'll be done in five minutes. What's this? What Paul said. He said every day, then priests constantly making sacrifice. Constantly. They put lambs and bullocks and all that. They constantly making sacrifice because the people just kept sinning. Never a time to sit down. Never a time to rest. Uh, never a time just to, just to take a break for a few minutes. Constantly, consistently had to be working because sin kept being committed. Offerings had to be made. Then he said, but this man, when he'd offered himself once for sin, forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, here's what happened. Jesus died at Calvary. Blood was shed. He, he, they placed his body in barred tomb. We know during that time, during those three days and three nights, the Bible said he led captivity captive. It was during those times, that during that time, surely that he ascended into paradise. Remember Luke 16, the rich man died and lifted his eyes up in hell. The beggar, Lazarus, he died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And they see that that's what happened before Calvary. And uh, it said there was a, he went to Abraham's bosom, went to paradise. Uh, here's what happened. Jesus died at Calvary because, see, they couldn't claim the blood because the blood hadn't been shed yet. Isn't that right? So here's what happened. Jesus died during those three days three nights. His sin in the heart of the earth uh, went, into, went into Abraham's bosom and led captivity captive. That's why the Bible said hell hath enlarged herself. No need for Abraham's bosom anymore. Hell's enlarged herself. He led captivity captive. Is that right? Remember after his resurrection, what the Bible say? Many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose. We've seen a many in Jerusalem after the resurrection. Some bodies of them captivity. He led captivity captive. Them Old Testament saints, they arose. Ain't that right? Watch this. Led captivity captive. Remember when he first saw Mary there in the garden, he said, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended unto my Father. My soul said, Preacher, what did he do? Well, he led captivity captive. Took those out of Abraham's bosom, marched them into heaven itself. Is that right? Here's what he did. He took the blood. Remember we told you there was a pattern, the heavenly tabernacle. He took the blood, took it behind the veil, which is his flesh, what the Bible's in the book of Hebrews. Placed the blood on the mercy seat. Is that right? The Bible said he was seen of many. Gave many infallible proofs of his disciples. Prove his resurrection. The resurrection of Christ is one of the most documented and proven facts in history there ever is. Seen a seen of over over five hundred at one time. Seen of Cephas. Seen of, seen of all the twelve. Uh, uh, gave many infallible proofs of his resurrection. Uh, ascended back into heaven. Remember when he saw Thomas and then remember what he said? Touch my hands. Plunge your hand into my side. He he went to the. He told Mary, "Touch me not." Told Thomas. Right? Send it back into heaven. Here's what he did. Blood's been placed on the mercy seat. The Bible said simply that he sat down on the right hand of the Father. Them Old Testament priests never could see it. Work always to be done. Jesus offered himself for sin forever once. When he placed the blood on the mercy seat, God's wrath and God's judgment was appeased. There's no more need tonight for sacrifice. No more need tonight for blood to be shed. No more need for anything to be done. It's sufficient. It's enough. And he sat down on the right hand of the Father. Now, let me show you something. What's what your Bible says? Verse number 13. From henceforth, expect until his enemies be made his footstool. You know what that means? means he's going to keep sitting there until his enemies be made his footstool. Here's what the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible talks about his enemies being put under him. So the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. Isn't that right? That'll happen in Revelation 20. Here's what happens. Here's what he's saying. He's going to keep sitting there until all his enemies be made his footstool. You know what the Lord's really telling us? There's never going to be a time he's going to have to sacrifice himself again. One time was sufficient forever for all man. That right? My soul, what a, what a picture. What's verse 14? For by one offering he hath perfected forever 
them that are sanctified. Now, don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what the Bible said, and I'm done right here. Here's what he said, Rihanna. By one offering, that one offering that he made at Calvary some 2,000 years ago, he hath perfected forever. Ain't that what the Bible said? Them that are sanctified. You know what that means? That means Kenny got saved, I'm not mistaken. Now, I believe I got this right. I believe you said you got saved when you were seven years old. About how long that been? About 40 years. You know what that means? When Kenny accepted the Lord 40 years ago, was redeemed, sanctified, baptized in the body of Christ. Here's what that means. That means that one offering some 2,000 years ago was sufficient enough. Y'all ain't getting that. Was sufficient enough for the last 40 years. And it'll be sufficient enough for the next 40 years. Tell you right. I've got good news for you. It'll be sufficient enough for the next 2,000 years. It'll be sufficient enough for the next eternity. You say, oh, preacher, I don't know about There'll never be a time. During the millennial kingdom, the Lord will never come by and say, well, I don't know. It might be about time. No, and it was sufficient. Watch what he said. For by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. One off. Now, let me say this, and I'm done. Here's what it means. First John said this. Now, I know what everybody's going to say. They're going to say, Preacher, well, has he perfected you if you still mess up? Well, let me say this. First John 1 9 said, if we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just gives us sins, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. First John 3 9 said that. Said that if we, if we, if we, I'm paraphrasing, but let me just turn over and read it, can I? That way I don't mess it up. First John 3 9. I'm done, I promise, I'm done right here. First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3 and verse number 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin because he's born of God. Now, first John 1 told us this. Bible said in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth is not in us. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just forgives our sins and cleanses from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. So John told us chapter 1, said if you say you don't, you don't sin, you're a liar. You make God a liar. The truth's not in you. Everybody sins. Wouldn't we agree? Then in chapter 3, he said, whoever is born of God doth not sin. Well, what about that? Let me show you the difference. Them boys right there are my boys. My blood runs through their veins. Isn't that right? Now stay with me. I'm done right here. My blood runs through their veins. They're my boys. It doesn't matter what they do, where they go, who they do it with. They can grow up, surely, and hate my guts. Go to the courthouse, get their name changed, and never talk to me again. They're still my boys. that right? There's nothing I or they can do about it. They're my boys. But I tell you this, that's our relationship, right? They're my sons. They, they, they were born from me and their mama. But our fellowship, that never changes. What does change is our fellowship. There's times... Andrew come up to me and put his arms around me. He just wants to love on me and acts like I'm the best thing in the world. Then there's times he wants to act just like me and me and him butt heads all the time. That changes. You see? That rela- never, I've been so mad at him. God help me. He better be glad he was in public or I'd have strangled him. But listen, he's still my son. That right? Our fellowship had changed. That relationship was still the same. Here's what the book of Hebrews is telling us. That one, that one offering was enough to redeem you to be a son of God. That right? That secured your relationship. And there's nothing tonight you or anybody else can do to change that relationship. Bible said that he's made perfect those that are sanctified. Do you realize, listen to me, 
Here's what the Bible said. First John 3, 9. Whosoever born of God can not sin. What he's saying. Here's what it's saying, Chris. When God looks at you, he looks at a saved person. He does not see sin. He sees Calvary. Is that right? He doesn't see your failure. He doesn't see your fault. He sees the blood that was shed to make you an heir of God, a joint heir of Christ. He sees the sign, right? But what does happen is this. doesn't see your sin. But when you sin, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. Isn't that right? When you sin, you commit sin. You go to work tomorrow. I'm not saying Chris does this. I'm just using an example. You go to work tomorrow. Somebody you work with comes over and says something to you. I'm not saying you get mad. You fly red. And you, you say some words you probably shouldn't say. What that does, God the Father sees the sign. But God the Son, there's a rift put between you and him. That's your fellowship. Is that right? That's when he said if we confess our sin, he's faithful. And just forgive us our sin. Cleanse us from all under. It's not a license to sin tonight. People say, oh, I, I can't believe that because I can't live it. When you, when you realize what the Bible teaches, it'll cause you to live closer to the Lord than you will out of fear. When you realize he loves you anyway, how to give you a desire to live for him. How to give you a, listen, you know what I found out? And I'm not saying there's not a time. I know the Bible says spare the rod, spoil the child. And believe me, my youngins get enough of them. But you know what I found out sometimes? I found out what really does the trick. It ain't when daddy goes loose of thrashing and beating on them. It's when I, it's when I look at them and they see I'm disappointed. And they see they broke my heart. And they realize they've done wrong. Sometimes, surely that hurts worse than the whooping does. Ain't that how it is with the Lord? When you, when you realize when you've done something you ought not do, uh, you realize God loves you anyway. Uh, and the Holy Ghost comes by and reminds you, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. You know better than that. Uh, isn't it heartbreaking? But aren't you glad? Thank God we've got an advocate with the Father. Uh, and if we confess our sin, uh, He's faithful. God help me, I'm about to come up. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My soul, one sacrifice put away sin forever for the whole